0: hello i am oozing glue and i am olympia bukkakis you sure (laughs) yes today (laughs) yes (laughs) today
1: yes tomorrow who knows who knows and this is our podcast slurry Slurry. (laughs) oh oh yeah i'm on a squeaky bed because today we're recording at my house
0: yeah, where I is in Gloop's house. I have a house. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You really do. I'm quite, um, quite impressed. <laughs> yeah. But like, this is, it's, it's a house, it has like four walls, it's not a swamp. <laughs> it's not a swamp, it's yeah. not a wine barrel like Diogenes.
1: <laughs> a wine barrel. <laughs> and I'm pretty disappointed in myself
0: because of that, but hey, we all become a little bit conservative as we get older. Yeah, yeah. At some point you have to stop living in a wine barrel? <laughs> yeah. A wine barrel? Yeah, you never do. You have to look at, di- uh, wait, Deogenes. Deogenes. Oh, the, that, that, uh, that, we, we talked about him, the Greek philosopher. The literal original goblin. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I saw that meme again recently, which was like, people say that non-binary is like a um, a scale from like, like androgynous masculine to andro- androgynous feminine, but actually it's a sliding scale between glamorous, a classy glamorous motherfucker who makes everyone d- d- doubt their sexuality and like, local bog witch who's, like, registered as a cryptid. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this, it's kind of true. Yeah,
1: yeah, completely. Also, as well, like, I'm following, like, um... Also, when I had, like, the drag name Oozing Gloop, everyone was like, oh, how wild, that's so weird. I'm, like, literally, I follow a, um, a page on Instagram called Unvaccinated Crotch Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> I was ahead of my time. <laughs> Unvaccinated cl- Crotch Goblin. Yeah, and then also another one called, like, Big Time Rush Afghanistan. Uh, which yeah. I have no understanding of what that is. And um, also, something else that's just disgusting and squelchy. Yeah.
0: I don't... I think... I I don't really follow so many things on Facebook.
1: You're more I... of a leader.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Facebook-wise, I'm a leader. I fucking hate Facebook.
1: Yeah, no, then fuck off. Hey, I mean, But also, speaking of, like, awful names, I was having a dream the other day, because I was sleeping, I and mean, it was as I was waking up, and there was, it was a very little good things and I was just trying to get out of a terrible family situation or something. And then this, um, this family friend morphed into this like really hot two meters tall emo guy, uh, who was also very trashy, uh, who was like trying to like chat me up a bit and like, um, I was like, yeah, I'm a performance artist and like da, 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 and I sort of said like, oozing gloop like quietly and it was like yeah yeah i knew it was like smelly moob or something like that <laughs> this is in your dream in my dream it sounds like it could be real my own dream called me smelly moob
0: i really wanted i found emo boys like really desirable yeah but i could never be one yeah because i i just smile all the time <sighs> i'm not even happy and i still smile all the time <laughs> it's so annoying it's the it's worst nervous. of the worst of both worlds. It's a nervous tick. Yeah, actually. <sighs> yeah. It's like, it's apparently it's like a painkiller or something, right? That's like when you smile, it, it like makes you happy. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but also as well, you know that um,
1: that if you overuse painkillers, then they stop working. Yeah. And you actually get a permanent
0: headache. Yeah, like codeine does that. Yeah, but what if your smile did that to you? Oh my God. <laughs> wow. That's a vibe.
1: (laughs) You need to start frowning more. I can't. Yeah, I know. I got
0: Botox. (laughs) Trapped in this. (laughs) Apparently, no, no. Botox apparently does have uh, an effect on lifting your mood because you can't frown. um, It uh, can uh, stop this feedback loop, partly, um, where you frown because you're uh, like, because you're depressed and then you're depressed because you frown. Like it, it actually has been shown to lift your mood. But I also okay. feel like people who can afford Botox are probably happier than people who can't.
1: Yeah, I'm also kind of just thinking of like Aldous oh, Huxley, the Brave New World, where they like uh, subdue like a crowd with like, a, like an ecstasy gas. So yeah, no, just this idea of like some kind of like dystopian new world where basically they just use Botox to ensure that the
0: population can't dissent. I feel like that would be a better deal than drugs <laughs> because, um, uh, because... Or the one we've got right now, frankly yeah 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 no absolutely <laughs> like like because if Botox breaks that feedback loop that's to stop you from frowning but doesn't give you a hangover, yeah um then like it's actually better for you than drugs, and also, I think we've kind of seen that I think we talked about this last week, um that like hedonism uh is not a threat to yeah. the way that things are, like if people yeah. are to um Like in terms of like joy and like, and like, like overflowing joy. Uh, maybe that maybe I don't believe this, but like, I'm no, but I think there's, I mean, I think it's also as well like that we can let's
1: perhaps use some just as stru- uh, strategic essentialism here, where we can say hedonism as you know, this like sort of like the certain discourse that is in a lot of the Berlin club scene and also like the London club scene and also the queer scene and the queer club scene, and also in terms of like ru- you know, RuPaul's like, ah oh, we're drag and we're so radical and all these things. When it's like uh, this is uh, there's there is a, a not particularly radical form of hedonism that is overly celebrated uh, which is actually people just have kind of justifying getting like uh, excruciatingly high all the yeah time. and
0: just I just think I, I think it compromises there are there have been really good examples of uh, addicts self-organizing mm. um, I've read about this in Canada <coughs> but um so it's like, it's not to say that um, someone with an addiction is unable to be an effective political actor, but it does yeah. hamper.
1: So you have no fucking excuse, you assholes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it does hamper one's ability to, um, to engage uh, with the world outside when you have such a hectic feedback loop going on inside you. Yeah. Like, it does make it harder to engage uh, effectively with... Um, like with uh, political and social processes that are going on outside of oneself, and so like if people are like really, really, uh, like really struggling with this, I just yeah, I'm very suspicious of it. We just need to get them addicted to organising or Botox. <laughs> <laughs> like this is my slogan for Berlin in, in like 2021 like less drugs more Botox yeah. I don't think that is my slogan I think just Berlin no Botox yes yes it's a whole new way of doing yeah. BB yeah we you know what we should because <laughs> it's not taboo anymore so I'm gonna move on <laughs> but um uh, I think we should both move to Munich and get Botox that's our, that's our plan okay
1: sure yeah. I think mean, there's got to be some kind of like really perverse like German
0: sugar daddy there just waiting for us I just don't think that I am I don't think there's a big market for sugar daddies for m- me for me no, no for me no they're fine then for me there's one waiting oh
1: there is one for, okay, okay I'm going to just gonna kind of find out I'm gonna keep searching yeah. like yeah from I bar just, to bar Continue. I just feel like
0: <laughs> it would be it's hard for me to when I'm trying to show when I'm trying to hide from someone that I'm deeply unimpressed with them I just try and do as little as possible because I know Mm. that I'm very expressive and I just feel like if I was like dealing with a guy who like uh, was a CEO or something, like I just don't think he'd find it very entertaining because I'd just be sitting there blankly going, "Mm mm-hmm, to everything he said. Whereas I'm going to be there doing funny little dances, clapping my
1: hands and being like, oh, you're so funny. (laughs) Like
0: consistently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think I would be rubbish at it. But I think you... would. Yeah, you're a kind person. I think you'd be good at it.
1: Yeah, but the other thing is, is that I've noticed, basically, because I'm autistic, I just don't have, like, uh, really, like, a conscience in the same way as other people do. And... (gasps) Just, like, noticing this. <laughs> what do you mean? I just don't give a fuck. Like, I just don't care. Like, there's a certain, like, level of, like, intuitive morality that I'm just not vibing with. And so, as a result, this, like, often leads me into the company of, like, really terrible people. <laughs> 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 and narcissists. Yeah. Because they're also people with no conscience. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then I'm just like, but wait, you're a terrible person.
0: I was like, oh, but wait, that's why I'm friends with you in the first place. Ah. Uh-huh. I don't know. We're friends, and I only think I'm a terrible person. I don't think I actually am. Yeah, no, you're a revolutionary though. So it's like, yeah.
1: look, I can imagine us like gunning down Princess Anastasia together, and I'm cool with that.
0: Oh, yeah, when all these people are like, "Oh, yes, this like beautiful dream <laughs> that like one of the Run- <laughs> Russian princesses escaped." It's like not on my watch. Yeah, these
1: bang Take
0: <laughs> ooh right in the Disney.
1: <laughs> Speaking of which, when I was
0: younger, my mum brought me that VHS to watch at home. I still haven't watched it, but I, I have been watching The Crown. I, I know you were doing a, an effective segue, but... I yeah, <laughs> was doing an effective segue, so I think... <laughs> but I've been watching <laughs> The Crown, and it's so bizarre because it's quite well made. And I'm like, I'm sympathising with who again? Like, I'm, I'm looking the Windsors. at the British royal family. And the, like, also Prince Philip in particular. Let's call him Philip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, with this guy, like, he's such a piece of shit
1: yeah okay what we need is a Netflix adaptation of the Bolshevik revolution yes. to manufacture consent for a new uh new leftist ideology speaking of which I actually shared a good post earlier on that <clears throat> well uh oh there's two things actually which is just that um because it, I'm, it's gonna make me sound a bit like wow kids today and I was talking to some friends like Judith Jack Haberson was doing some lecture on, like, trigger warnings, mm-hmm. uh, and me and my friends were talking about it, and it was just like, it was just very, like, uh, kids today, and it's, like, just the idea of, like, using trigger warnings within, like, a, an educational context, saying that, like, if you use a trigger warning, then you're, like, lessening shock for actor and stuff, and that... <laughs> I think there's actually some interesting debates to be had around whether or not shock factor actually improves the teaching experience. Mm. And I think that it's like I did a show before where I like used the footage leaked by Chelsea Manning uh, of these like these uh these reporters and their families being blown up by the US military who are like laughing mm. and like the tech guys in the process got really angry and they were like, You have to show a trigger warning for this situation. I was like, da 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 like you can't like say these things and you've got like this thing in the video is literally called collateral murder and I, th- I was like wow so it's like I was like well these people uh like it's like wow that you feel that you're entitled to a trigger warning mm. for this situation when these are people literally in a war zone mm. uh sponsored by our our government and our country and our democratic body of people is literally killing people and and you you you're upset by this but then what I chose to do in the performance is that I said that um that, uh, so I have been told I need to provide a trigger warning for this situation basically because it's a situation of war crimes, and uh, so said this thing about our government and stuff like that, and said as well. And I, so I want you to reflect on the fact that you have received the luxury of a trigger warning here while these people got no warning for the bomb that ended their lives, and then play the video, mm-hmm. which I think was a far more effective, dramaturgical way of uh incorporating it. So, yeah, I think there's lots of ways that you can do this. That said, kids, today, um, there was this good post I saw. Uh, earlier on instagram just about certain people uh treating the left like a church mm-hmm. and that a church is a place that you go to be together and it's where you go to be a good person and you go to be good people and you go to grow together with people as a good person and that maybe it's also a place where you hold people to account as well but then also you do that in a way that is moralistic uh, within that and also as well as that if people attempt to then reauthor the way the church works they can be referred to then as a heretic mm-hmm. and that the left is not a church it's not about being good and it's about uh, gaining power to improve people's lives yeah and it's very much about this which I,
0: um, I just really enjoyed I was this. This this makes me think. I I think I very much agree with you. Mm. I was just reading this um, article called "Against Innocence" by Jackie Wang, Um, and uh, in it, she's talking about how innocence uh, functions to uh, this idea of innocence functions to sort of like further white supremacy. Uh, That Mm. like um, in and I had to look into it like halfway through because you know like people talking about an innocent uh, like an innocent black man. Uh, mm. like murdered by the police um, as the, and then the, like it hinges on like the reason that this is bad is because he was innocent right um, yeah 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 um, versus
1: the police are literally suspending the rule of law on which liberalism is founded well,
0: and, and even just the American uh, especially with the, um, the American legal system uh, and like most other legal systems uh, like but particularly the legal, American legal system uh, with the war on drugs uh, is itself Like an unjust imposition, uh, 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 unjust and uh, uh, and and aggressive imposition of like Mm. this very violent order onto a population that isn't doing anything wrong. So like Mm. uh, like criminalizing um, uh, like people for like totally harmless behaviours, and so uh, and then so but criminalizing for life, yeah, for life, yeah, and then and then uh, if you're criminalized for possession of pot, uh, like a weed. Uh, then uh, then, when the police are violent towards you, then you can no longer make this claim of innocence because like mm. one has been made non innocent and like she's talking about how this like it's a very interesting article I haven't finished reading it yet, but one of the things that she talks about is the way that white people use uh, safer spaces um, and like uh, that like the feelings of people who are offended. Uh, become more important than uh, the actually existing violence Um, and this is I think a uh, a thing that you're talking about and it was just I was like when I was looking up uh, reading it I was just like oh fuck why am I reading about this this is so boring and then I read I checked when it was written I was like 2014 I was like I am so glad we are not in 2014 anymore because we have an actually existing left now yeah and like like debating endlessly about trigger warnings is not like the most visible thing going on in the left now. Like we have, yeah. we, we can talk about stuff like uh, the Green New Deal or, or like, mm. like actually proposing, uh, like. So rather than being this church, yeah, um, it's, it becomes a movement, something that moves, something that tries to, um, tries to, uh, like change something, um, mm. to avert the apocalypse, for example. Uh, yeah. And it's just like I'm just so glad that like. Um, people in relative states of privilege uh, don't dominate this discourse about what it is to be left-wing anymore mm. uh, by uh, like how surprised or upset they were because they saw something which they didn't expect. Because it's also like a lot of people who like people like the more difficult someone's life is, mm. the, I think the less likely they're going to be uh, like engaging really, really heavily in these, these things about like, because also, you know, the only people still talking about safer spaces now are yeah. turfs.
1: Yeah, it's also, uh, uh, and recently, uh, a certain Quo who pissed me off, um, which is, uh, as we discussed previously, Quo being a queer bro and then mm. being, like, in a queer space and then being like, this wasn't a safe space for me, and it's like, this is a space free of, like, structural patriarchy, you're the biggest patriarch here, um, and you're the one who now is mobilising this to then, uh, police, uh, queer camp and, uh, expressions of drag humour. Mm. Like...
0: Um uh well, hat, just, it, fuck you. Well it <laughs> just it relies on a border. Like the like Safer Spaces discourse relies on a border between yes. uh, between the inside and the outside. And we know that in general, borders are problematic. Sometimes good problematic, uh, a lot of the time it's like bad ah, problematic.
1: Yes, so, so also Bell Hook says that she really dislikes the discourse of safe spaces because that safety is a is a, it's a white people calling the police situation. Mm-hmm. And um it's, uh, and that they, ah, my safety was threatened. So there's this idea. And then it's like that, uh, that we respond to a lack of safety with security and that this itself is part of the ideology of like the war on terror and all these things. And so, um, <clears throat> and so bell hooks talks about the idea that we need to be making each other comfortable, uh, in the space of risk. Mm-hmm. And to take risks as well because of all these things. If she had, there's various points where she wouldn't. She if she would waited till she'd have felt safe as a black woman, she never would have done anything yep. as a queer black woman as well. And then, um, and I was also thinking as well actually. Uh, so I did a a little memorial for my father on Sunday, which mm-hmm. would, like was just for me to create a space of like passing and. Like, I went to, uh, and it was like, I, like, my, my friend's sister, I, I had not been there before, and so there's a very small space next to this lake, and then there's a certain pathway, and there's a lot of people. So I decided to, I basically, I, I violated the rules, and went off to find a separate space, uh, Grove, and I, like, had to climb over this fence, um, to do it, which, like, and just, it immediately struck me that the transgression of boundaries is absolutely vital to the queer experience, And that there is no queer experience without this kind of uh, negotiation of a multitude of liminal spaces, which themselves have no distinction between them. But then at the same time, all of us in trying to be good queers are always talking about our boundaries and these things and trying to set these up and then they're always collapsing and it's really confusing as well. And actually that this, it feels a lot that this boundaries discourse really is uh, something that comes from the master. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is why it's so good that we didn't do, uh, the, <laughs> the, the the, uh, the, the, episode on boundaries. It's like the best, it's the best artistic decision that we have made is not doing a queer trans podcast on boundaries. <laughs> well done Olympia. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no, I think we both, we, we both made it. Oh no, wait, what did we do instead? Oh, who cares? Um, yeah, I don't remember. I think it was dad's, the father. No, it was
1: the one before that. But I think it's important that our themes are
0: fun and spontaneous. Like, uh... <laughs> so the, I think, but, think so that a dramaturgist... in like a record, um, a record introduction. Yeah,
1: length. that's because we are basically uh, like the, our dramaturgy more or less is done by a hen party.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so today, what are we talking about? Is
1: Someone who often has a hen party is. A mum, a Mum. mums, specifically plural mums, mm-hmm. versus the singular father. Which is ironic because I've only have had one mum and
0: I've had many fathers. Right? Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's why we say dads are dime a dozen. Dime a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. But a mother? That's a true gem. A mother, a true gem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my friends uh, have uh, a thing. On their wall. I don't know why I'm telling the story. Uh, I have a thing on their wall that says, um, uh, uh, it's a picture of a, a gemstone. It says, rein wie Rhein wie, uh, rein wie de. Der Edelstein Is die lieber ganz allein
1: Your Botox Expression of
0: confusion Is a delight to witness Olympia Is it like Is it really modest <laughs> it is, Yes it's modest But then it's like <laughs> but, uh Unusual Unusual wrinkles I got a vertical wrinkle On my forehead It's the vertical wrinkle It's, it's the vertical wrinkle A vertical wrinkle On my forehead And it's from sleeping Because I sleep on what? my side Yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's so good
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the part Where your confusion Becomes expressed it's Yeah, like the
0: third eye Opening. I think if I get two of them at that angle, it could look like I always have angry eyebrows. Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, but I have real eyebrows now. Yes, you do. Oh my god. Stubbly ones. It's a brave new world. They're not, well, yeah, they're just a bit sparse.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, so what did it say in German and what does it mean?
0: Uh, uh. The, like, in. Like, (laughs) a a mother's love is as pure. As uh, the like Brightest Precious uh, Gem
1: oh Yeah My mother's love was stern And unyielding
0: That's good You want unyielding love um, Yeah Wait <laughs> Unyielding in that it didn't stop Or unyielding in that Yeah, I don't understand. No,
1: basically when I was growing up, my mum was just like, um, I kind of realised I uh, I had to do this big performance at one point where I was just like kind of questioning like where I was in my life and things because I was just never, I was just failing consistently to conform to any sort of like expressed order. And I basically, I had to oedipalise my life Mm -hmm. in this process because I realised that uh, I just wasn't, there was a certain a certain rhythm or attitude of of the Oedipal family system that I just wasn't really corresponding to. But I realised that um, Oedipus being the the psychoanalytic fo- scenario based on the Greek myth of the person who kills his father and marries his mum,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was actually a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. It was mm-hmm. because he was prophesied to do that, that they threw the baby away and then the baby being the return of the repressed then met his father became Oedipus, met his father at the crossroads. And he
0: didn't know that either of them was... Neither of them one. knew each other. I think it's much more understandable in that context.
1: Yeah, it's also... What's it's interesting as well is that losing guitar and anti-Oedipus point out that then it's actually... It's the guilt of the father that has created this. So that... And that in Freudian psychoanalysis that there's all these different things how to work out the anxiety of the child, but it's really based on the actions of the parents. And that... But and I was just kind of like... Because there was just so much shit like with my father as we expressed in The Father. Um that uh but then i realized that i had a proper properly resolved oedipus complex because my mother was the father when i was growing up because she was just like indestructible she was like a woman possessed of like her canteen duty like she was like super hardcore and organized um
0: and did you the- say canteen or Kantian? canteen canteen as in as in cant okay I yeah. don't know anything about him. Oh, so Kant's I just yeah. imagined her like, really like, really serious about working in the canteen. Yeah, like a dinner lady, who's yeah.
1: also often a mum,
0: and also- Yeah, my mum my did that too. Wait, your mum was a dinner lady! Okay, yeah. Well, she she volunteered. So, uh,
1: your canteen- a uh, canteen duty, Kant's concept of duty is basically the high- it was sort of like the highest sort of- like, cancelled, like, you know, the purpose of life is to find your duty and do it, more or less, whatever your duty may be. Oh god, that sounds stressful. Yeah, just like uh but it was like it was like it's like you know when there's certain people are like I am here on this earth for this purpose and this reason like Those people are always so unbearable. That was my mum when we were growing up. Oh, I I like her. Yeah. No, <laughs> she was just like I will raise these two children because like, yeah. it was like complete survival mode.
0: So it's like an ethical commitment.
1: Yeah, yeah, like an ethical commitment. And then my uh, grandma basically uh, was filled the role of my mother. She was caring. Mm-hmm. And then um And then what happened is that uh, then my grandma died. Mm -hmm. So um, then I could no longer possess the mother. And I was just there in the throne of the father, who was actually my mother. And so that's why I turned into a drag queen.
0: (laughs) 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 Wow. And I tried to, like... Yeah. I, like... Because I think you could say that my biological father wasn't the most capable father. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sort of just took himself out of the running for that one, really. Yeah, I think he was kind of disqualified when he died when I was three months old. <laughs> um, I was, like, dancing around uh, talking about him, with, like, the fact that he died of a heroin overdose in an episode earlier on. But then someone, um, someone messaged me and said, lol, heroin overdose. <laughs> <laughs> and it was apparently a joke we made in the second episode. Like, years ago. <laughs> That was like, yeah. It it died in a birding accident. It was a heron overdose. Oh yeah, (laughs) so bad.
1: Um, Do you have a relationship with your
0: grandparents? um, Grandmas specifically. My mother's from New Zealand, and so they I only ever met them maybe like four or five times, but they were quite nice. Um, And then my biological. Uh, so I'm not no I don't have much extended family even though I have a lot of extended family because then my biological dad's parents moved to northern Australia which is like very very far away Um, and uh, and then my uh, second dad's parents um, uh, had their Irish Catholics so they had so many grandkids so it was like they would like <laughs> so was like I'm related to you ah, so what there's too many of these yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, so like no I didn't I didn't have that I have like yeah but um my I, I realised more and more because I was born into such a hectic situation mm. um that like and I haven't experienced I realised this maybe like a couple of years ago I've, from doing therapy mm. and sort of like looking at my family history I was like it's pretty fucking amazing that I didn't grow up I, I didn't have my early life like Like kind of destroyed by addiction. Mm. So, like, thanks, mum. Okay, yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Like, honestly, like, I like, I'm about as unscathed from that situation as one could be. Yeah, and still you insist on to... making art about it. Sorry?
1: and still you insist on making art about yeah, it. Yeah, I <laughs> know.
0: <laughs> I just feel like my minority trans perspective isn't, like, edgy enough, so... Yeah! <laughs> so I put a bit of heroin in there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Just, like, maybe the next thing you do a show you, could just, like, take a piece of, like, opium and put it, like, in an incense burner and sort of swing it around like, you're, like... Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I... Like, I'm just trying to... I'm trying to, I'm trying to summon my dad. Oh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. So but this is about the mum The shows the mum. But like it was it was I think I was I learned more about it because in in the show that I did recently um, a touch of the other, I interviewed my mother, two aunties and my sister, mm. uh, all, uh, cis women from, uh, 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 well, like from my mother comes from a working class, um, family mm-hmm. and talking about their experiences of, uh, work and like in and out of the home and, uh, uh, so productive and reproductive labor mm-hmm. and, uh, there and and uh how that relates to like trauma and distress and then perseverance and it was very very interesting cuz like um i learned uh a lot about what the first 2 years of my life were like
1: mm. um,
0: cuz i think we're both we're both from situations where <laughs> the dad dropped the ball in whichever way yeah <laughs> um and then it's really like it really it, it just gets held together by um uh
1: Mums. Mums. My mum used to cry so much when she was in this council house in the middle of nowhere. So I grew up in a village of 100 people. Mm. Like, uh, people, I, people, uh, uh, yeah, there was just like 100 people there and there was this very small council estate at the top that was like padded on and my mum was there and she used to cry so much in the middle of nowhere over my father. Uh, she had no friends there, no family, apart from my grandparents, and like, again, my grandma got cancer when I was six, so like, um... Oh, so
0: you were really young.
1: Yeah, and then we moved there when I was two, mm-hmm. so, um, and, uh, she used to cry so much that the postman used to get her birthday cards and Christmas cards, and she'd come to the door with, like, red eyes all the time, and she'd always be trying to pass it off as a cold. She couldn't because she just said that she just cried. She's cried for years and years and years and years. I just found that out because I, like, uh, my mum sent a letter to my sister just about uh, her road trip to Scotland, Mm -hmm. which I told you about. Yes. But also just so the listeners can know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, my mum found out that my father had been living in material luxury this entire time in a mansion with, and his multiple children all had SUVs and Mercedes and stuff like this, and that we were written out of all forms of inheritance, so she snapped, went on a road trip. Uh, turned up there, got into a mum-frontation with the, uh,
0: f- uh, with various things. Did you say a mum-frontation? Mum-frontation. When two mums mum-front each other? Mum-front each other, yeah. yeah wow. Can, yeah. Like, uh... That's a great word. Yeah, to, like, try and
1: talk about this. And then, uh, my father's wife, instead of trying to, like, actually, uh, to actually talk with her about this, because we've been sending letters for a period of time, she went psychotically hysterical Um, one of her children punched my mum in the face, and, um, it was, uh, and then she, they tried to run away, and then she's like, I will, uh, call the police on you, uh, if you do not come here and talk to me, because I want to talk about this inheritance, about these things, and then basically, uh, you need to do this, and, uh, this, the evil mum of my father's, uh, wife was just, like, fucking just doing whatever. And these other ones tried to like like sort my mum out and then she revealed to them and they basically got revealed in the process that um, that their father had, had a secret family that they had never ever known about and that also my father's first name is Michael and that he passed that on to me and that also none of them have got the, like, the family name of four generations. Uh, and it was just like so- this like completely like there's more detail. I can't really bother to go into all of it. But there was just like... And then she left and she swore, I will never go back into Scotland ever again. And it feels like this curse of 30 years has been lifted. Um, and which is like kind of great. But it was also like... I was like, oh, wow, mum. No chill. Oh, and she threatened to- <laughs> <laughs> Mum has
0: no chill.
1: Yeah, she threatened to turn up to the funeral with like a... Um, with a reporter and reveal who the true Mike Reynolds was. They got two security guards for his funeral. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, completely. And then, um, but then I spoke to her and then she was just, uh, and she's, and she had these letters and she was like, she letter to my sister about it. And she said that she was quite angry and bitter about the, the way my father behaved. And I, I found my mom and spoke to her and I was like, like, are you bitter? Is this? And she was like, well, I am if I keep revisiting it. And I was like, cause I really, I was, I was like, mum, you never talk about your feelings. Like mm. she just, and she's like, uh, and then she did, and then she told, and she started talking about feelings. And then she told me that she cried like every day for seven or eight, like for for at least six years, of my father. And it's actually because it's just so ridiculously painful, and that there yeah. was never the space to talk about this, there was never the form of support for this. She had to like go into the benefits office and lie about saying not knowing who the father of either of her two children were, uh, and that they were different people as well, because uh, there's no sort of like support for these sort of like for these feminine forms of dispossession mm-hmm. uh, and this is part of why she never talks about her feelings and sort of missions on with it and like but it's been really good for her to do all of this because my mum is literally she has migraines which count as a disability and migraines really heavily affect cis women mm-hmm. um, or like uh, uh, or AFAB people uh, compared to um, the rest of the population and uh, my mum having no sense of boundaries from this like horrible experience of like my evil father um who I do actually actively believe is evil I don't resent him anymore but he is evil and then um uh was was yeah (laughs) (laughs) um Like, she is often the one person who is manning the phones for all of uh, Norfolk County's uh, emergency mental health services and social services. Mm -hmm. And so she'll do, like, 12-hour shifts, and it's also the the place in the country with the worst, most failing mental health service. Mm -hmm. So she then... She was... Like, when my father met her, she was like a fashion designer, knitwear fashion designer. Mm. And then she got her life completely destroyed by this man who, like, just said he would start a family with her and then, like, ghosted her totally. And his, my younger, my mum got pregnant with my younger brother three weeks after his other baby with his wife was born. Mm. Three weeks after the baby was born, then she got pregnant. It's not that they were pregnant at the same time, it's like that's how calculated his control of her body was. Mm. and that then she- then she retrained and now she deals with- she retrained as a social worker, and now basically if people uh, are threatening to kill themselves, uh, my mum has to go out and assesses them, like, people, like, sat on, like, the edge of piers with, like, sandbags tied to their shoes and stuff like that, and has a conversation with them to work out if they're,
0: if they need to be sectioned or if they're just having a bad day. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, my- your mum can handle a crisis. She can <laughs> yeah, she can. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah,
1: sorry, yeah, I just, yeah, it's uh so, like, fucking, like, by
0: the power of mums, I also resolve never to piss my mum off. Yeah, I don't think, it's it's not a good idea for me to piss my mum off. I don't have so much to say about my mum because we're in in such a good place. Yeah! (laughs) That's (laughs) okay. I, I think, like, um, I, um... Yeah, that's like, just my thinking is just like, yeah, like my biological dad really fucked up, but mum did a pretty good job. Yeah, but like, but I definitely, definitely don't want to piss my mum off.
1: Yeah, like what's your mum like when she's angry?
0: I think like me. Oh dear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, kind of imposing. (laughs) What's the angriest you've ever made your mum? Uh, I wouldn't contribute to, uh, I think she was asking me to do something to do with the, um, with the clothes washing, uh, washing the clothes. And I just wouldn't, I can be rather stubborn. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I just, I, I don't know. I wasn't giving in. I'm sure she was right, but she, I, yeah, that, yeah, she, she was very angry. (laughs) Let's say she was very angry. Yeah. But like, um, I realized, um, that because my early life was so unstable because mm-hmm. she was from New Zealand so she didn't have uh, she didn't have support of like uh, her parents uh and uh, and then she had an infant and then I think that the welfare system was uh kinder than it is today mm-hmm. but still I think I realized how much um how much of uh, our lives have been uh uh, informed by mm. this search for stability, and this was the thing that really like came out to me when I did uh, these interviews mm. uh, with these women in my family was like how much financial because uh, like cisgender women mm. tend to be the ones that do the majority of reproductive labour. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, like and the way that the figure of the mother is set up uh, in the Western capitalist uh, framework it's uh, it's a job it's like it's a full-time job and it's also a more than one person job so yeah. the stuff like this saying like it takes a village to raise a child this is literally true because like a lot of uh women who attempt to raise uh a child by themselves become depressed very quickly mm. because it's 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 too demanding for one person to do um and then um so it's like for working class so then we like uh i read in this book by uh called capitalism a critical discussion by nancy fraser and rahel that like uh the uh some of the advances that have been made in uh liberal feminism uh, but middle class feminism Mm. um have been made possible by um migrant women and women of color being uh Brought into the to the middle class home to perform this reproductive. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so that like actually this like um, this, this burden of reproductive labour. We've spoken about this on here before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, passed, but it
1: bears repeating. Yeah,
0: but it, it's much passed, like the cleaning, you can't and, just
1: do it once.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and it, and it's passed down the food chain, and and I think this is. Um, uh, like this really, really, uh, became apparent to me that like how much the men, the fathers of the ch- their children cooperated, um, uh, with the, uh, like the reproductive, uh, labor or like r- providing resources through productive labor, um, made a such a massive effect. So I find it, mm. I, it's always this double-edged sort of romanticizing the figure of the mother because like the figure of the mother, as we see it, is the localization of all responsibility for reproductive labor inside one person, mm. which itself is a kind of violent idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though I fucking love my mom. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Completely like, oh my God. Yeah. Wow. I
1: love this phrase, like the localization of reproductive labor. That's amazing. Like, have you heard the phrase, um, hot bathtub theory? No. This is the idea that the mum is like, a hot bathtub that all the family get into and she, like, soothes them. Like, it's from, like, my sociology A-level. What? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? What? Why is she a bathtub? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, it, I know it sounds like some sort of, like, disgusting full anime mm. porn. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, because it was some fucking misogynist making some point about, like, the family and being like, oh, isn't it nice? It was this idea, like, and then, um... I mean, this is A level sociology, so it's hardly very advanced. But yeah, it was just, it was like, there's something about mums and like hot bathtub theory, and like referring
0: to the mum as like the hot, socially a hot bathtub. Ah, I do, I do endeavour to think of my mother as a person. I really do. (sighs) Well, as opposed to a tub. (laughs) Yeah, like as opposed to a tub that I could just like, like sink into. Mm. Like what? That's so weird. Yeah. Hey, really weird, right?
1: Is that when my uh, first stepfather, Married my mum He stopped making All effort Immediately after marriage Mm -hmm. Like he started like Being like his He would be really disgusting Like he'd come home Like uh, He just started coming home Like even doing things Like taking off his shoes And then just like Having his disgusting feet Like stinking up the house And like Just in this way That was just like Just like lacking basic hygiene And it was just like We're married now Like I can do this Which was just like Fucked I think it's But yeah I also think that like Um uh, i feel kind of annoyed that like i have so many things that i can say about the psychoanalytic concept of like the father and like the patriarchy and there's so little that i can say about like the mother or, or mum's or things and i'm kind of against the like this uh, staying within this like edible like uh like this this rhythm of oedipus of being like uh parents but it just feels i don't know it just feels like as someone who's completely raised by my mum, i have no i have no conceptual language for it besides uh, reappropriating like patriarchal terms,
0: mm. like yeah, I I like I've tried to understand the Oedipus complex a couple of times, yeah, and every time it's like what? <laughs> so the other thing about the Oedipus <laughs> like, complex, yeah, no, they, just, just, like it's one of these ideas where I'm just like, uh, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not vibing with that. No, it's so, dumb. Basically,
1: it also it is fucking dumb. Like because it's what it is is that lots of things, lots of notions of psychoanalysis are based on uh, Oedipus and that's basically because it's based on the Victorian bourgeois family and what this actually comes from is that there was so much incest and rape within the Victorian bourgeois family and that parents were basically, fathers were basically like uh, raping their daughters or something like that and that Freud treated them Um, and then he started publishing this research and people were like upstanding gentlemen would never do this um, and then he turned away from it, right? So this he did some of his earlier research. Yeah, and so he turned it into the idea that it was some sort of kind of like secret fantasy or something like yeah. that. And then basically created the Oedipus complex from that.
0: And then... I've read about this in, uh, uh, in that book on trauma. The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, this is, I've, re- I've read about this as well. Yeah, yeah. just like, and
1: well, it's also because it, I'm just, I'm kind of like this, this anti-Oedipus book I'm reading, which is sort of like advocating for like a schizoanalysis, which is like, which is, but the book itself is, is art with psychoanalytic theory, basically. So it's just, it's just for a kind of reorganisation of like flows and desires. I just think that, yeah, it just kind of like needs a, a complete sort of like rehaul and like thinking about like, uh, uh, without this distinct mind like a psychoanalysis that also uh, works but without a mind body distinction in the same way that's based mm. on a very distinctive public private uh, system based on a very distinct parental system in mm. which there is the productive labour and the domestic labour and that also that we actually have a system now that doesn't do this because we're all expected to work 40 hour weeks and also do all of the reproductive labour at the same time as well
0: yeah I, I i totally agree i think this is also a problem in uh in psychoanalysis in, is that it posits an ahistorical psyche mm. uh, that like there's a human like a structure to the human consciousness that like just has always been there yeah. um as though like um who we are and how we interact with each other wasn't um like defined hugely by the material condition material and social and therefore social conditions that we find uh, ourselves in so like mm. the way that the family is structured in uh like Bourgeois Vienna, in, yeah. in like in in the nineteenth century, like I'm just not sure how much application that has to my family unit uh, yeah. in like Australia in 1987. Um, <laughs> 1988, though, it was very it was very Viennese nineteenth <laughs> yeah. century. That was our. Viennese bourgeois 19th century moment like family wise uh, but then after that <laughs> but is it like of course these are very different situations and then so like uh, this is a problem but you know I was thinking because I because uh, I live very far away from my family mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't talking to my family so much until I think two years ago where, where we became a lot closer um, halfway through me doing therapy and I realised that maybe I don't need to be as distant <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and um, the occasional text will do I, when I, st- when I Skype with my mum, it's like an hour and a half conversation and we start off with stuff that's been going on. And then we go into like politics, like family history. Oh like it's God. like, a, it's like a consciousness raising se- uh, session slash therapy session, like almost every time. Yeah. It's so good. And, um, uh, I can't have like
1: talks with my mum either actually, it always ends up going into like all sorts of like amazing things. Yeah. Like mum
0: chats are the best. Absolutely. (laughs) And um, so, uh, but I I just realised because a couple of times people have asked me to be their drag mother and I've always been like, I am far too emotionally absent to be someone else's drag mother. Uh, But actually maybe now because I I don't think I'm so emotionally withdrawn as I used to be. So maybe I could, I really don't want to be someone's drag mother. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I'm just going to point out that having been uh, many people's drag mothers, like uh, it's fucked because the thing is, right, is that you can't, is that the whole drag mother system is a lot of the, the way that it's used now is uh, inescapable from Paris is Burning um, in yeah. this sort of like linguistics of it. Now, there's also various other ways of like, and the whole concept of a drag house, and this is to do with the homelessness rate of um, uh, queer brown bodies, Uh, Mm. and that there's all these, uh, middle-class white people who are just like, Oh my god, I want to have a drag house! Will you be my drag mum? And then it's like, part of like what the creation of this is, the fact that the drag mother had a house and they lived in the house. Yeah. Like, and so also as well is that then the mother was the person who ultimately could, uh, you'd steal clothes but would be feeding and housing you and all these things. And so the drag mum could say, You will do this in this way because that's what we do in this household. And then what happens though is that with like basically a bunch of like, uh, like, new, like, middle-class kids who can buy a bunch of makeup from Mac and then teach themselves everything they want from YouTube, what they do, basically, is they exploit you for free tutoring, then they take your, uh, the the advice and the archaic, sort of, like, matriarchal, like, folklore that you have, like, absorbed slowly, and then say, right, you do this in this way, and stuff like that, and they take that as something to consider. Hmm. And the idea of, basically, pursuing this very normative idea. Ultimately, a lot of people are then pursuing this very normative, very glamorous, very intoxicating and very repetitive idea of what a drag queen looks like uh, in various ways. And um, and then, so, uh, because I have to say, actually, that I've many ways that the notion of, like, a queer family has just been, like, decimated for me by sort of, like, late-stage capitalism. And that I actually... But I also, maybe this is... I think that maybe my... Yeah, it's been decimated for me because I also feel as well that, like, just so interested in gentrification still because it's really interesting the way that we have to become complicit with processes that generate our displacement and dislocation. Mm -hmm. And that then a drag collective or, like, a queer collective or a queer family collective or something like that that's running a certain night is still running a business and then this is part of creating a certain assemblage that sort of like has an effect within the community of some way. And then what happens as well is that the family is still fundamentally uh, an organisation that works towards the sustainability and stability of capitalism.
0: But I think it, Judith Butler says this about uh, the um, uh, Paris is Burning, that mm. where she says that the thing that she actually finds really uh, subversive or radical about it, ah, uh, yeah, which is like, which is not too um, no Paris.
1: I mean, I mean, I, I'm yeah, talking yeah. very much in the 21st
0: century yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, but like, like what she talks about is that what's subversive about it or radical is this form of queer kinship uh, mm. that that, uh, that you see in the film uh, Paris is Burning. Um, where, uh, like the heterosexual nuclear family, like, yeah. uh, is, uh, like replaced, uh, with a, um, um, like, like with a, with a new model. And mm. I think I very much agree with you. I do think that there are like, uh, beautiful and interesting, uh, house models, uh, that still exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, uh, and like that, the like that, that the house, uh, that the drag mother, like, um, relationship can be a really nice one but I've also just never been in one I was I was very much a drag orphan like uh, and then um, like I couldn't really I didn't really understand what it would be like to teach someone how to do drag because I taught every myself everything mm. um, and so I was like I thought that's what to me that's just what what my experience of drag is is not having someone teach you anything that you just like start doing it um, yeah. and it's really confusing and difficult um, but um yeah, I very much agree that, like, I, I was also thinking about this the other day that I was like, that I I think I really believe that, like, um, this is something that, like, queers could contribute to a leftist movement is, like, new kinship structures. Yeah. Um, and because very often our, like, our friends do become our family. Mm. Um, but I also, it's very hard to make them up in uh, a situation uh, that is so atomizing and individualist. So in uh, Beziehungsweise Revolution by Binia Damciak, uh she says that um, that we need to I think this is an influence of the autonomous uh, movement that we need to already start working on models um, for collective living. Um, and collective, like being together and relationality, uh, already now, so that when the revolution comes, we have models that we can uh, we can implement. Um, yeah, I really heavily believe in this too, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's a really nice well, idea, but same... yeah, I I just feel so um, I just feel so atomized <laughs> <laughs> that I'm just like I don't know how to do that because I really don't want to live like I love my housemate. I don't want to live with more than one other person. Like, and I actually really enjoy my alienation from other people. Yes. This is my basic level of alienation. I was a commucracy! We yes. need a communocratic revolution! But the reason why I actually created communocracy, which is a
1: previous Slurry episode, is it is because the reason why the Bolshevik revolution succeeded is because there were existing Soviets. There were Soviets that were existing. There was worker Soviets that were there. What happened was is the government failed. There was a system that existed
0: that could... Come into place. It's and not this, yeah. to 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 uh, to, uh, to give a background information for yeah. those who don't know. A Soviet is a workers council. So this was like a, a, like a, people uh, represented, for example, the factory that they worked in uh, to make political decisions. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, there was a highly organized group existing within the
1: capital accumulation uh, system uh, that was basically as like the old system was like rotting and crumbling that there was new life that was it wasn't that because there's this this idea with revolution it's like okay so basically we have to like we have to destroy what's there and then we're all going to come together in this like radically open moment Mm. and we're going to create some kind of like new social contract kind of thing and it's like no we don't even want to create anything that involves contracts in that sense or something like that or at least in this classical sense and so that we need things. And so I, I have created the, uh, and also ignore me about like, I'm also just very bitter
0: about like drag families and this sorts of notion. Because I think the points that you all made were very correct. Yeah. It's just that I think that uh, I wouldn't tar everyone with the same brush, but like broadly as a trend, I think you're right. I think, okay, thank you. Yeah, like, I think there's trends within it and it's more, it's just because it's
1: also as well like this thing of like, that drag should just be this wonderful sight of beauty and creativity and then it's just like, this very consistent like, uh, like deification of Paris' burning that itself is like a film that has a series of problematic critiques around it kind of thing and this sort of thing that also, uh, just, but it misses that misses a really crucial aspect about the poverty that people experience and how this created the affective family structures. Mm-hmm. And that actually within this atomization that we have this loss of affectivity, of this fundamental like moving affective thing that our mums do. And what we need is we need to be mothered by a new revolution to form a new affectivity that we can all enjoy together.
0: Oh my God, you are so good at this. <laughs> That's like I 100% agree And this is A beautiful sum up Of literally Everything that we've Spoken about <laughs> Well it has been A pleasure To speak with you uh, uh, About mums Oozing glue Oh this is the best time I've had in a long time It's absolutely Wonderful talking to talk with you Thank you for uh, Staying with us li- uh, Dear listeners Dear listeners we'll be- Dear Lennons Dear Lennons We will uh, Be back next week uh, With another Brand new episode Of Slurry. Slurry.
1: we absolutely love it when you put us on your instagram stories keep doing it yeah
0: share this on your instagram stories yeah bye bye <laughs>